Well, good morning. Again, I appreciate, uh, I know what my truck is going to look like in the next couple of weeks here as the toys start rolling in. By history, you guys have a reputation with CASA already. Um, so, thank you. How'd the weekend go? Anything that you heard? Uh, any uh, announcements? I think siding happened. No faith-promoting rumors and Relief Society that you're still shaking about. I have a question. It's actually not anything that came up this week, but it was something that Heather and I were talking about, trying to figure out how to acknowledge it. Is, is there any, um, do we have any knowledge of any of whether there's the other kingdom besides the celestial kingdom we're going to have some sort of leadership and hierarchy and ah. things like that? You know, it is, it is funny how uh, how little we know and how much we can speculate. Because <laughs> uh, we really don't know. I mean, I've, I've even been surprised at those who have said, okay, we know that there, there are three levels to the celestial kingdom. Yeah. Okay, who goes to which one? And then I've heard all people start, here's what it would take and all that stuff. There's nothing revealed on any of that. It's just amazing. So we really don't know. Although I can't imagine the Lord doing anything without a hierarchy, without some kind of leadership, because that is his pattern. That's his style. Well, that was what we were wondering about, because it seems like anybody that's would be in a position to be in leadership positions probably wouldn't be in those Probably be in the other kingdom, right? Exactly. So that's why I'm like, they're going to assign people from higher kingdoms. Exactly. We're going to we're going to borrow a really good leader from the Telestial Kingdom and come up because we really didn't have anybody else who could man that role. <laughs> good point. Okay, yeah. Yeah, we're kind of hung up on the Abrahamic covenant and how it relates to the temple. Uh, is it true that if we don't go to the temple, we can't go to get all the blessings? We can't be anywhere in the kingdoms? Or only be in the lowest of the kingdoms? I'm coming to you, President. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Because <laughs> if we if we kind of work back from back from that, is there anybody that will be in the celestial kingdom that's not going to be part of the Abrahamic covenant? No. That is that is part of what the what the blessings of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are all about is the ability to have everything that God has promised them to become like Him is to, is to receive all that Abrahamic covenant. That's one of the reasons, by the way, that, and, and that's actually a good lead-in, uh, that one of the reasons why we try to spend a little bit, uh, make sure we spend extra time on Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because these are our people. And there are promises being made to them and patterns created and blessings promised that are ours. And part of what they're receiving is the blessings of the celestial kingdom. And, and so let's try to tap into that and be like Abraham and like Joseph is going to be. We should almost say Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and Ephraim, or Manasseh, you know, because it's all tied in there. Yeah. And that's also what all the missionary work on the other side is about, is to bring people to that so that we have that opportunity. Yeah, because it is interesting. Remember at the end, you talk about that, that blessing. Uh, there is only one family, really, that gets saved. If you want to be, want to be really honest about it, it's the family of Abraham. That, that's the one that salvation. It is a, it is a family. We're saving a family. 
And it, and if you and if that's one of the reasons why it is if you're not originally from Israel, you're adopted into one of the tribes of Israel through baptism and and receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. And Joseph says you become part of the the this is part of the blood of Israel, whether you were or not. We're saying one back. That's where the linkage is. Yeah. I was reading the Quran and some of Abraham's other sons were sent all over. Most of the Middle East was settled by his sons. Ishmael, uh, for instance, and all of the Arab families that come from Ishmael, and then Esau on all of that. But isn't it interesting still that we, we still have uh, a family under Abraham? And, and everything that we do now comes under the the blessings and promises and curses that come through through that, that family. Yeah. But his other children will still have the same blessings, won't they? There are blessings promised to them. But there are blessings that they still need to obey. And the minute that they do that, it's interesting that they are then... Let's say that somebody is from the tribe, you know, descended from Ishmael. And, and the missionaries came and taught them the gospel and they accepted it. Guess what happens? They get adopted into the house of Israel, even though the original lineage might have been over there. We don't want to make it too complicated, but that's where the blessings come. But Ishmael himself and his immediate family, they still will have a chance. They, they? they do. They have, exactly. <laughs> It, it, this isn't one of the things that sometimes you have to look at with the, the tribes of Israel and the blessings of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Is that it's not a closed shop. It isn't like we get blessings and nobody else does. The Lord is saying there are blessings promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their seed. But anybody that's going to come forward is quickly adopted in to receive all those blessings. Uh, this is, we're not trying to exclude anybody. Um, that's why when how do you answer when somebody says will only Mormons be in heaven <laughs> no depends on your description of heaven hanging out in a really good place with visits coming from Jesus not, not just Mormons on that one okay but you know your concept of yeah <laughs> you're going to have to be a Mormon to be there yeah, yeah. Isn't it amazing? So much of what we talk about goes back to this, to these people, to these blessings that are down to the latest generations and to us. That's why this is applicable uh, today. All right. That said. Let's let's start today. We're gonna we're gonna now jump into um, our ancestor Joseph, and um, oh, by the way, let, let, let me just bring up something along these lines that we haven't talked about before. Uh, every time I do this, I always kind of get surprised. Uh, how many are how many here are the tribe of Ephraim? Okay. How many, any Manassites? Look at that. Okay. And, and any other, you're not alone. <laughs> any other tribes? Okay. Now, remember, and I've said this before, let me just repeat it again. In the, uh, 
the state patriarch in the Plano state, Lou Lordson, is quick to remind, to say, remember, remember, remember that, that part of being one of the tribes is as much an assignment of responsibility and calling as much as it is just lineage. We are assigned to work within the responsibilities assigned to Ephraim. Manasseh is assigned to work within the responsibilities assigned to Manasseh. Uh, one of the last times I did this, that lady came up and she said, I'm Judah. Everybody else in my family is Ephraim. Well, what happened? You know, and I went back to Lou and I said, what's the deal here? And he said, she's assigned to work with Judah. My daughter is Judah. Judah, you wonder where in the... But he says, remember, when these guys get to where we're about to take them, to Egypt, they're all going to intermarry. So we carry in our blood all of the tribes. It's just that, that you have certain assignments expressed in certain tribes. Yeah. Is there any distinction whenever it says in the blessing that you come as a direct descendant? Could be. Well, not, not necessarily a specific blessing, but it might mean that you weren't adopted in. In other words, you, you could actually, you might find that you're a direct descendant and there was an adoption. Yeah. One of the uh, bishops that we were under was the tribe of Levi. That's true. He's just a, like a big mark on his chest, isn't it? <laughs> okay. So let's look at uh, Genesis 37. I wonder how these how how these guys would have treated if we said, you know. Down the line in the year 2013, they're still going to be talking about you guys. And about these experiences and kind of going step by step because you're so important to all the generations uh, forever. Now Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. Here are the generations of Jacob. Now Joseph, being 17 years old, let's remind ourselves, who's his mom? Rachel. Rachel, okay, the one that Jacob loved, right? And she's going to give birth to younger brother Benjamin, and then she's going to die. She's going to die near Bethlehem. Uh, yeah. I think Jacob loved all of his wives. Yes, he did a lot. More than it isn't like he loved and hated Leah. Um, but uh, so Joseph. Uh, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. My guess is, is that with the death of Rachel, they're helping raise uh, Joseph. Okay. And Joseph brought his father ill report. Um, funny thing about that is that he's probably ratting on the boys. You gotta hear what they're saying. You know, here's what they're doing. The, um, now, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age, and he made a, him a coat of many colors. Now, with all due respect uh, to Andrew Lloyd Webber and Donny Osmond. <laughs> It ain't what you think. 
Um, in fact, let, let me just quote. Whoops. What about Benjamin? He was. He lo- oh, that's the younger brother. I know, but he was I know he's older. I get it. I'm with you. Um, let me just quote uh, Hugh Nibley talking about this coat of many colors. Because the many colors, colors is, is uh, if you look at the Hebrew word behind this, it means a long tunic. It means a specific garment that went to the uh, wrists and to the ankles with certain things embroidered on. Okay? Uh, and as he draws on all of the, the, he, the Hebrew traditions, the Midrash and everything, he's going to bring all of this together. Here, here's what Hugh Nibley is going to describe this, this uh, uh, garment. Here, here we have, I detect, I perceive, I know. He's blind, you see. The odor, the spirit, the smell of Joseph. This is after the part of the garment is brought back to uh, after uh, it looks like Joseph has been killed, and they put the the blood of the the kid on there. And then they bring it to Jacob and say, "Oh, he got he's gone after they sold it." Okay. The odor, the spirit, the smell of Joseph. You not think me out of my head from a little old age and a little barmy. <laughs> It talks about the spirit that is in this garment. The east wind that has brought it. And again, a lot of this is just tradition. This is a very important thing. When he placed, they placed it upon the face of Jacob, he smelled also the smell of the Garden of Eden. For behold, there is not in, it, in all the earth another garment that has that smell in it. This is a unique thing. This is the garment. For there is not another garment on the earth of the winds of the Garden of Eden unless it is this one garment. So you can see why the brethren were so jealous. It was the garment of the priesthood. Okay? So in other words, the tradition is is that this garment given to uh, Joseph was the garment, the coat of skins given to Adam. Passed down through the generations. Uh, now, whether it's the exact garment, I don't know. But anyway, this is a tradition. Yeah. So where does this tradition come from? It comes from, from a number of places. That's why I say I, I want to use Hugh Nibley rather than pull because I, I went back and I read a number of these and they're all kind of saying the same thing. There's a particular Islamic scholar from like the 12th, 12th or 13th century. And he really, uh, uh, by the Ibrahim, who put a lot of these things together, uh, and they all kind of say the same thing, that the belief was is that what Joseph was receiving was, if it wasn't the very garment given to Adam and Eve, it was, at the very least, it was uh, the garment symbolic of that. But most of the traditions say it was that garment. And, and again, they had to get it back from, remember we talked before about that it, it was had by... Uh, uh, the, the great hunter Nimrod. Yeah, and the animals would come to it and he'd shoot them because they recognized this thing. And, okay. Anyway, but, but at the very least, what you get, uh, it's fascinating to me, two things. One, I'm in, uh, in another document, it talks about that it had the smell of paradise. What exactly the smell of paradise? And there was no other smell like that. And so that's how blind. 
Jacob, Israel, was able to smell it and go, yeah, it's Joseph's. I recognize, the, I recognize that smell. Now, the other part of it, though, is that at the very least, what we're seeing in giving this special garment to Joseph is what's being given to him. The, the priesthood and birthright. Okay, the priesthood and the birthright. So, so now you're going to have, and you need to understand that. Why does the boys are reacting so much? It isn't like he got a pretty coat and they didn't. A very important thing is being happened is that Jacob, Israel, is saying, Joseph is now my birthright son because Reuben has uh, lost that right through, through uh, uh, sin. Yeah? I have a question. Like, so, you know, Do you know that's an interesting thought that maybe even he could smell? I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. It is interesting that each time you got blind fathers. <laughs> uh, although there is one tradition that says that Jacob wasn't blind until he heard that Joseph had been killed. Then he went blind, and he stayed blind until, until Jacob, till the boys are going to bring part of the garment back. We'll talk about this in a second. Part of this garment comes back from Egypt, and he smells it, and now he can see again because it's like my son is yet alive. Recognizing that. There's a, there's a connection here. Okay. Yeah. How many years has it been since the garden? A couple. <laughs> <laughs> It's like a really old garment, right? Yes. Yes. That's that is the tradition. Yeah, yeah. Is it true? I don't. I don't know. But it's, it's fast. Whenever you see these many traditions coming from these many directions, you go, "Ooh, there's there's some truth, and there's a possibility of that." Because part of what we're going to find is that part of what made this garment remarkable is that it didn't decay, right? We're going to find out that from Captain Moroni in just a second. It doesn't decay. It doesn't decay. Yeah. Well, that would make sense because the animals in the Garden of Eden were. Oh. oh, so you're saying you got a skin from maybe more of a, like an immortal animal thing. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. They were immortal right up to the point they gave up their skin for the coat. <laughs> All right. All right. We're now three verses in. Okay. So he's going to give him this coat, the birthright. So this is a pretty important thing. Okay. And when his brothers, brethren saw the father loved him more than the other brother, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Okay. Now, you have to picture, okay, to set this up, Sometimes the, these these great young boys are just innocent in the way that they handle things, and they're totally clueless about human behavior. You know, I picture I picture uh, Joseph Smith coming out of the grove and heading up the street to Palmyra and going, "You can't believe what I saw this morning! Oh, it was amazing! I saw God, and and it was cold." By the way, he said, "No other churches are really true." I'm supposed to just kind of wait. And, you know, and you see him, he just talking too much, and then he's so shocked when everybody starts to react to that. 
Okay? I think Joseph is kind of like that. He's just an innocent 17-year-old, full of the spirit-loving boy. <laughs> and listen to him. Joseph dreamed a dream and he told it to his brethren. They hated him yet even more. <laughs> it was really cool. I dreamed a dream. You had sheaves. I had sheaves. My sheep arose, stood right. Your sheep stood around and made obeisance to my sheep. You, your, your sheep isn't that weird? Your sheep are all bowing down to me. <laughs> no figure. <laughs> you know, I was sitting going, what? Did I say something? Take my coat and go home. <laughs> okay? It's like he's not getting it, is he? And his brethren said unto him, Shalt thou indeed have reign over us? Thou shalt indeed have dominion. And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. Okay? And then and then it's like, but wait, I had another dream. <laughs> And they, made, they were obedient to me too. And he told him to his father. And his father rebuked him and says, What is this dream? I think what his father is saying, Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> you may be having these dreams. I gave you the birthright. You're going to be the one carrying on this. It's probably true, but shut Yeah, uh-huh, right. And he says, and he's even a little confused. Shall, my, shall I and my mother and brother bow down to you? And his brothers envied him, but his father observed the saying. He's like, I get it. But shut up. <laughs> quit, in, quit inflaming your brothers, you know. Um, now, so then we get this moment when, okay, the brethren are going to go off to feed the flock in Shechem. And Israel says, uh, aren't they off feeding the shepherd? Yeah, I'm going to send you unto them. And he says, here am I. Why would he do that? They're hating him a lot. Why in the middle would, would Jacob send Joseph out to these guys? I think so. I think this is a, I know they left Matt. Let me send you all the way out there and maybe you can kind of help them and, and kind of, we're going to try and somehow patch this thing up. You boys go talk. That makes some sense. If they're out, if they're out making this long journey and doing that, you need probably not. After the things you said, you probably need not to be hanging out here eating grapes. Yeah. And wasn't he, when he was younger, he was kind of the golden child anyway. Yes. He was the one at home receiving all the education. I think his brothers had a lot to say. Yeah. My guess is you, you get somebody like Joseph too and he's probably drawn to study and, and to be more excited about stuff like that. So yeah, he's going to be like the, uh, like the golden child. He's learning faster and he's reading the scriptures and uh, catching on to all of this. Okay. Then we get this whole thing, you know, he's wandering around. There's a man that has to point him in the right direction. 
there's a part of me that says, because this thing is so symbolic, that there's something symbolic here that I'm missing about the fact that some man's going to find him wandering in the wilderness and send him to his brothers. That was a missionary. You think that's what it is? Okay, now. And they said unto each other, here he comes, this dreamer cometh, this great dreamer, this dreamer of dreams. Uh, by the way, have you ever heard anybody else described as dreamers? Lehi. Lehi. Yeah. No. No, Joseph Smith. These dreamers, they see things. This dreamer cometh. Let's slay him and cast him in some pit, and we'll say some evil beast has devoured him. And we'll see what will become of his dreams. Okay, and Reuben heard it and delivered him out of their hands and said, let's not kill him. Uh, and he said, shed no blood. Cast him in this pit till we figure out what to do to deliver him to his father again. I'm going to make sure he gets back to dad. Okay, Reuben's going to kind of step up here. And it came to pass when uh, Joseph was coming to his brother, they stripped Joseph out of his coat. That's the first thing they want off him is that coat. That emblem of, being, of who he is. And they took him and they cast him in a pit. There was no water in it. Uh, and then they sat down to eat. Uh, now, and Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Now, it's important that we know <coughs> Judah. And that Judah is the one heading this up. Because so much of what we're going to talk about today is uh, repentance and reconciliation. And this could almost be the, the story of Judah as much as it is the story of Joseph. Because it's going to be about this particular thing. And you're going to see it really come back. Now, uh, they passed by the Midianite merchants. They drew him. They drew Joseph out of the pit. Sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph unto Egypt. Now, we're going to see over and over and over again, we're, we're going to see the great parallel here. That Joseph is what kind of figure? He's a Christ figure, right? So, so in what way is Joseph like the Savior? In what way is he like Jesus? He's what? He got he got sold by his brethren, right? The ones that he trusted, that cared about. They're going to sell him for silver, 20 instead of 30 pieces of silver. They're going to send him to people that are going to take him off, take him to another land, okay? How else? Yeah? You're saying he trusted the Midianite merchantmen? No, he did. The, uh, he was trusting his brethren. So that's why he's totally shocked. Yeah. And in fact, you're gonna part of what's gonna happen when we get to the reconciliation part is just how how hurt and how much uh, Joseph wails when he's when he's betrayed and he's carried off away from his brethren. It's, and it's gonna haunt them for twenty years. Okay? So how else is like is he like to say? The first thing we're going to do is that we're going to take off the robe, right? And Christ's robe, I mean, too. Yes. Yeah. And we're going to cast money for it and stuff like that. Exactly. 
Okay? He saved his whole family. But as a result of being sold, what looks like a painful, terrible, horrible thing, it's actually going to be the means by which you you save the family. Right? Now, if we stop for a second, because remember, we always talk about, it's fascinating for me with, with these stories. We get the actual story, the parallel, which is often a savior-like thing, and then there's the third layer, which is us. How many times in your life have you, have you had horrible things happen to you, and at the moment it just seems unbearable? But only in retrospect down the line do you see that the Lord either had His hand in it or, or provided a way for you to get out of it and provided a, a tender mercy that would enable you to survive it. And then you're able to bear witness to His tender mercy in helping save you. Isn't that amazing how that works? That so often we get bound up. At the moment that Joseph is lying in the pit without water and they've taken his coat from him and he can hear them up there having lunch and making plans to sell him. Is there a lower moment in Joseph's life? Literally? And, and if you were asking him at that moment, you know, his life may be over. For all he knows, they're going to kill him. But it'll only be later that Joseph goes... God's hand was in this. This was going to be the means by which I would save my family. Think about those times you've been really low. Think about those times when it seems like nothing can save you. And yet that's the exact moment where the Lord says, I'm preparing the means. And there will be good in this, even though it's so painful at the moment. Had a chance last night. I was in. Uh, I did a uh, spoke at a fireside in Waco uh, last night, and uh, to a wonderful group of singles. And and uh, bless their heart, we, we were talking about some of these trials, and 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 the things that they had felt. And at this time in their life, they never planned on being in this in this situation. And we talked about a number of things, and then afterwards, they came up with tears in their eyes, and it's just like. That's where I've been. I just haven't been able to see my way out of it. And it just to be able to see the Lord's hand in it and to feel His Spirit and know that He's there is, is real touching to me. It's one of the reasons I always love doing uh, firesides with these guys. So, all right. So finally, then we get this. Uh, Reuben returns to the pit. Joseph is not in the pit, and he rents his clothes. Uh, and then th- this phrase, and this is kind of interesting. The child is not, and I whither shall I go? But they've got to go back home. So what are they going to do? They're going to. We're back to deception again. Kind of keep seeing this thread of deception. They took Joseph's coat. They killed a kid of goats. Dipped the coat in the blood. They're going to tear it up. They're going to send a coat of many this coat of many colors. They're going to send it brought to their fathers. They said, "This we have found. Know now whether it's thy son's coat or not." And again, Jacob says he knew it. And fascinating that the possibility could be this, that he smelled it and says, "I recognize the smell 
of this. This is my son. Okay? Where had Reuben been that he didn't know that they'd sold Joseph? I'm not sure. Reuben kind of goes out somewhere. I think he's trying to come up with something. So it's while Reuben is gone, the rest of the guys go, okay, there's no profit in this. Let's hurry and sell him up before Reuben gets back. Okay? Yeah. Jacob is also going to rent his clothes and put sackcloth on his loins and mourn for his son many days. Now, let, let's look, we've got to look at the symbolism of what's occurring here because I think it has such long-term impact. Okay, let's hop over uh, to Alma 46. story, right? I'm 46, you know, the Nephite nation is about to fall, and here comes Captain Moroni. And Captain Moroni came to pass that. He does an interesting thing in verse 12. He rents his coat. Oh. Now, tradition, this is, this is a sign of mourning, right? You're going to tear your, your coat. So there's some warning going on here with, with Captain Moroni. He rents his coat and he took a piece thereof and he wrote upon it in memory of our God, our religion, our freedom, our peace, our wives, our children, and passed on the end of the pole. Okay, And then he's going to pray mightily uh, to God for the blessings of liberty upon their, uh, his brethren so long as there's a band of Christians. And he's going to use this as the symbol to kind of rally everybody together. Uh, he's going to name the land. Uh, surely God will suffer we're despised if we don't take upon ourselves the name of Christ and transgression and everything he's doing all this stuff and he's waving the rent part of the garment in the air wow what a, what a dramatic moment it's like the first flag right yeah only it's got it's a part of his torn coat that he's waving around with name with stuff written all over it okay do we often forget what it is that he's really doing here? Twenty-three. Moroni said unto them, "Behold, we are who a remnant of the seed of Joseph, Jacob. Look at who we are. Let's not forget who we are. We are a remnant." Now. A lot of times we use the word remnant, ladies. What do we, what do we usually refer to remnant as? Remnant of clothing, cloth. It's a remnant of cloth. 
We're a remnant. I mean, listen deeply to symbolism. Captain Moroni definitely gets not just what this means to him, but the people that he's talking to. If he's going to look for a symbol that's going to rally these people, he's going to go deep into their symbolism of who they are and how they see themselves. There's not a, a more powerful symbol he could have used than the one he chose. And it's not by accident because he didn't have anything else to write. Is, is this kind of a symbol of the atonement, the covering? It, so in other words, we all have a remnant of hold, hold on to that. Thank you. You're getting it. I, lo I love where your brain's going. Because there's the story and then there's the, the one underneath it. Hang on to that. Behold, we are a remnant of the seed of Jacob. We are a remnant of the seed of Joseph. Whose coat was rent by his brethren into many pieces. Yea, and now let us remember to keep the commandments of God. Or our garments shall be rent by our brethren. And we shall be cast into prison or sold or slain. He's speaking to a group of people who understand this story really well. And they see themselves as the seed of Joseph. And they see themselves as a remnant. So he's going to take this remnant and he's going to put it up on the pole for them to see. And so they're rallying because if we're not going to keep the commandments, we will be like, we will be like a coat. We will be torn. Okay. What, what a great image. We're going to be thrown into jail just like Joseph. We could be slain just like Joseph. Rise up. Stand up. Fight for your liberty. Rally against those that would take your liberty. And those who take your liberty are also remembrance. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. You're being sold. By the way, so who, who sold Joseph? His brethren. Who was selling the, the Nephites at this point? Their brethren. Because it was, it was intrigued inside the government. People that they assumed were their friends and they were the ones that were selling them. Okay? You get the imagery? It's just, I'm just always caught by how powerful this is and what a genius stroke this was for Captain Moroni. Now, he's going to do something interesting, though. He's actually going to quote from a book that we don't have. He's going to quote from Jacob, the words that we don't have anywhere else other than we're containing the brass plates. Let us preserve our liberty as a remnant of Joseph. Let us remember the words of Jacob before his death. For he saw a part of the remnant of the coat of Joseph was preserved and had not decayed. Now, is that actual or is he seeing that in vision? I don't know. But he's describing that. And he's seen a part of this coat, it hasn't decayed, uh, and said, now here comes the quote, this is the only place we have it coming from Israel, from Father Jacob. Even as this remnant of my garment of my son hath been preserved, so shall a remnant of the seed of my son be preserved by the hand of God 
and be taken unto himself, while the remnant of the seed of Joseph shall perish, even as a remnant of the garment. And behold, this giveth my soul sorrow. Nevertheless, my soul hath joy in my son, because of that part of his seed which shall be taken unto God. Oh, okay. You think this is the first time these guys have heard this revelation? No. No. And, and Moroni says, this is the language of Jacob, and who knoweth but the remnant of the seed of Joseph, which shall perish as his garment, are those that have descended from us. In other words, he's saying, Father Jacob, way back when, when he was looking at this remnant of the coat of Joseph, and it's there, he has a revelation that says, there will come a time down there when there will be two remnants of uh, Joseph, and one will decay and one will not. Will that be you? Or will you fight for your freedom? If Joseph was 17, he didn't have any children yet. Not yet. So in other words... I think that this is probably a vision that happens after he finds out that Joseph is alive again. Okay? Because you're right. Even Jacob, because we're going to talk about this in a second. Jacob is going to have all kinds of fear. He believes the report. He believes that it's that it, Joseph's dead. So this is going to be after that. Okay? Alright. Now is that amazing? I just don't know how often it is. Think about when we tell the story to primary kids or whatever, and we talk about the title of liberty. Do we just picture it as a flag? Or how often do we look at this and say, you know what? This is, at, this is the code of Joseph. And there's, a, and there's a particular thing because these were Israelites and they knew it. Okay. So, here's where, so he's going to then mourn, and all of his sons and daughters, we're back to Genesis, all of his sons and daughters rose up to comfort him, and they refused to be comforted, and he said, I'll go down to my grave unto my son mourning, thus his father wept for him. Okay, now, Let's now kind of. I'm gonna. I'm gonna hop over for the sake of uh, brevity here. We're gonna hop over a couple of great stories because uh, I wanted to stay uh, consistent on this. Um, those of you who are hoping to get uh, Joseph and Potiphar's wife, we're gonna skip over that one, and we're gonna hop. O- we're gonna. Let's go up to Genesis 41. We're also going to get that the dreamer keeps dreaming and remember as a result of uh, Potiphar's wife, he ends up in prison. Interprets dreams there. Eventually one of those dreams will get him an audience in front of the Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh has had a dream. And at the end of two full years, the Pharaoh dreamed and he stood by the river. And then we get the uh, seven well-favored cattle uh, and they fed in a meadow. Then you're going to get the seven thin ones. Now, this this is fascinating to me. Pharaoh is going to get this dream. 
How come Jacob didn't get this drink? Wouldn't that have been easier? Nobody's going to listen. But could, if Jacob, sitting back way over here in his land over here, they're over, they're, we're now over in Egypt. Uh, and, and, and by the way, let, let me pause here. In the symbolism of the scriptures, what does Egypt symbolize? The forbidden. The forbidden. What else? It is a, it, it, in this case, it becomes a refuge. For the sake it is a refuge. Yeah. It's the world. It is the world. It's like Babylon. So in other words, we're always going to have this world over here. The land given to the family of Abraham is over here. And then they keep having this interaction with this world over here. So what you're getting is Joseph, who's over here, he's going to get sold off into the world. And if you listen to the parallelism on that, it's, it's fascinating to me. We're going to get sold off over there. By the way, our kids never get sold off, do they? Cheaply? Depends how you define the sale. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be Christmas soon. Our, our, our kids around you are going to want to kind of, they want, they want the worldly stuff, right? How easy is it? Is 20 pieces of silver... That's an easy sale, isn't it? Sell these kids off. Okay. Now, fascinating then, though, that the uh, that the dream that's going to unlock the salvation of the tribes of Israel is going to come not to Jacob, but it's going to come to Pharaoh. Why did the Lord do that? Yes. And so, if, if we take that same line of reasoning, then anything that would be good or bad for Egypt could come through Pharaoh because it's his responsibility to take care of. Yeah. But at the time you don't see it. 
All Joseph knows is he's sitting in the bottom of a pit. Then he's ending up in Egypt. Then he's having to run away from Potiphar's wife. And then he's in jail. You know, and it's just like one thing after another. And it just seems like his life has just gone off the deep end. And then, it all, and then Pharaoh's going to have this dream. And it's going to come to Pharaoh. And they're going to figure out, oh, wait a minute. Maybe we ought to... Maybe we need to involve... Um, the person that actually knows what he's doing. And when when Joseph is a, actually able to stand up and let him know how it's going to be, he in verse 40, Pharaoh's going to say, Thou shalt be over my house, according to my word, because uh, now we're going to begin storing up the grain for seven years in the fat years so we prepare for the lean years um, only, in, only in the throne will I be greater than thou thou art going to be second in all of Egypt well that's quite a ways from the 17 year old boy stuck in the pit okay that's not bad And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I've set them over the land. He takes the ring from his hand, and he put upon it Joseph, Joseph's hand, and arrayed him in, interesting, a vesture of fine linen. The world has its version of the robe, the robe of power. We have the robe of priesthood, and then we have the robe of power. And this is, this is the... The best thing that Pharaoh could confirm. And, he, and by the way, as, as is tra- tradition, generally when you look at these brethren, that whenever they take the covenant, God always gives them a new name, right? Jacob becomes Israel. Okay? Look at this. Pharaoh is going to now give him a new name. If you're going to be in charge, we need to give you an Egyptian name. And so we're going to name we're going to name him Zopneth uh, Panah. And he gave him to wife Asenath, the daughter of uh, Potipharah, priest of On. And Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Uh, now, by, can I just mention something about Asenath? Okay. You should, you should uh, warm a little bit to Asenath. Why? Who's she the mother of? Ephraim and Manasseh. Oh, hold on here. Yeah. Didn't the boys get in trouble a lot when they would go out and marry Canaanites out of the covenant? That's not right, is it? And yet, Ephraim, how many are from Ephraim? This is your mom. (laughs) And she is Egyptian. This ain't right. You see Pharaoh being somewhat of a righteous man. Yeah. In this story. Right. And, you know, there's a priest and. So maybe she was taught the gospel on some level. So there's a possibility that she converted over. Okay, yeah. He does, but their lineage is still through her. 
Because you're right, Ephraim and Manasseh are going to be the next two tribes, right? The man and the priest don't you think he shared it? Could be. But let, let, let me just throw this out. I don't have an answer. <laughs> <laughs> One tradition says actually that she is uh, that she was brought to Egypt earlier, and that she's actually the daughter of Dinah. One of the one of the children that she actually is an Israelite. Yeah. And the wise men came from Egypt, right? That yeah. We know there's something. There's got to be something there. So it's just fascinating to me that this is the only reason I mention this is that this is if you're an Ephraimite, this is your mother. It, it comes through her, okay? And that ultimately uh, Joseph is going to uh, I assume teach her the gospel. Uh, that she's going to raise righteous children in the midst of all of this. Okay? Alright, now. This is... Now, now, the, now the thick plotins. The story gets better. So, so now all the pieces are in place for... The grand reconciliation. Jacob saw... Okay, now, now we're back over to Canaan. Jacob sees that there's corn in Egypt. He sends the boys. Uh, three, Joseph's ten brethren go down to, to buy corn in Egypt. Uh, Benjamin is left behind. Lest, lest peradventure mischief fall him. I learned my lesson not to send my young sons out with you guys. It doesn't always go well. Okay. And verse 5, the sons of Israel come to buy corn. The famine, Joseph's the governor. 7, Joseph saw his brethren and he knew them. But made himself strange unto them and spoke rough, roughly unto them. Uh, and Joseph knew his brethren, they knew him not. Joseph and Nice remembered the dreams which he dreamed to them, and he said unto them, Ye are spies to see the nakedness of the land ye are come. You're just going to, you're scouting the land out. Okay, now, let me stop here. Why would Joseph do this? He hasn't seen his brothers now for years and years and years. A little payback. Is this revenge? Is this a little payback? He may have wanted to know what they were doing. Okay. Yeah, see where their intentions were. See where their intentions are? Have they changed? Yeah, have, have they changed? Okay. Now, does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. Sometimes with our family, we have rocky situations over the years, but we tend to visit family. We have phone, we have email. We have ways of communication. And if you look at, like Jacob and Esau, they were apart for years and years and years. Jacob had no clue how Esau was going to react. It makes sense that Joseph would not know that enough of his brothers had changed. But, but it doesn't, it almost wouldn't matter if they've changed or not. He's, I mean, if they haven't changed, he can, he can call in an army and wipe them out, that he's not in danger from them. And he'd be willing to use them to get the rest of the family. So he's going to string them out, couldn't he just order them? Okay, now, I want you to picture for, stop for a second. If, if Joseph is a Christ figure, and indeed he is, does he love his brother? 
Does he want them? Does, does he want to be close to them? What secret have they been carrying for years? That they lied to their dad, and that they carried on this deception. How how much has this been eating on these guys? Because they've had to watch their dad mourn. I mean, they're sitting and watching Jacob mourn and cry and sob over the loss of his, his son. And then, number one, they knew that they did it. And number two, they know that he might still be alive. They're, they're holding on to this lie and they can't say it. And later, Joseph knows the reason why he went through everything he did. He admits to his brother that, you know what, because of you, I'm where I am today. Yes. So he already knew it was a good thing that I'm here. I'm going to be able to save my family. I get it. So what is he interested in? He's testing him a little bit. Ultimately, what was he interested in? He wants information. So now he's going to set this up and he's going to say, okay, 
So that I don't know, so I know you're a spy. You say that you have a younger brother. Yes. Okay. Well, how do, how do I know that that's true? So I'm going to have uh, you got. I'm not going to believe you until you get this younger brother and bring him here. Mm-hmm. The younger brother being his younger brother, Benjamin. Twenty. Bring your youngest brother unto me, so that I'll see your words are verified, and ye shall not die. And they did so. Now, this is one of those moments I want to see in the millennial video collection. <laughs> because he's speaking Egyptian to them, and, and through an interpreter, but he still understands Aramaic. And they said to one another, We are verily guilty concerning our brother in that what we saw, the anguish of his soul when he besought us and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. What immediately jumps to mind is that moment when he's being sold. And the distress, and it has been haunting them ever since. Immediately, we're going through this distress. What could we have done? Oh, what we did to Joseph. And we still hear his cries in our ears. And Reuben said, Spake I unto you, saying, Don't sin against him. His blood is required. And they knew not that Joseph understood them, for he spake unto them by an interpreter. And Joseph himself turned from them and wept and returned unto them and communed with them and took from them Simeon and bound him before their eyes. He's recreating that anguish. He's having them kind of walk through this. There's a repentance process underway. I think he would have done it to Judah. Yeah, you would think. Watch what he does with Judah though. Actually, he allows Judah to step up. And that's going to be the important one here. Okay? Then we're going to go through all of this where because he's going to now send them off, okay, you, you can, but you can't have the corn. So they pay for the corn. He sends them back off to dad with the corn. Well, they send him here. But before they leave, he also has the money put back in their bags to head back. So in other words, they were able to buy without price. You hear the Savior's image of that. They, they were able to buy food without price. <clears throat> and they and they laden they laid their asses with corn to part of them. One of them opened his sack to, to give his ass provender in the end. He espied his money. And behold, it was in his sack's mouth. In other words, that they stop along the way, and it's like, oh my gosh, the money's here. He's already accusing us of spies. And he said unto his brethren, My money is restored, and lo, even in my sack, and their heart failed them. And they were afraid, saying, What is this that God has done unto us? We're still bleeding because of what we've done, you know, and they're just having to kind of relive all of this. And so now, they're, now they've got that problem. They're going to go back to Jacob. 
And he says, no, you don't get to have Benjamin. Uh, not doing that. They're going to hold on as long as they can. It's still not working. They're still starving. Now we have to go back to Egypt. Your brother's there. And, and, you, and you took his money. And he wants Benjamin. Okay. Now... Hold on, I want to make sure I get the... Okay, here we go. So how in the world are they going to convince Jacob to actually send Benjamin back to Egypt? Now, because there's still just this sense of guilt and everything. Here comes Judah. Now, now it's time for Judah to step up. Remember, it's Judah that led the, led the plan to sell Joseph. Listen to Judah. And Judah said unto Israel his father, Send the lad with me. Benjamin, send the lad with me. We will arise and go that we may live and not die both we and thou and also our little ones. I will, I will be surely for him. Of my hand shalt thou require if I bring him not unto thee and send him before me. Let me bear the blame forever. I will take responsibility for Benjamin in a way that I didn't take responsibility for Joseph. Just watch this repentance process occur. Jacob's going to say, okay, Take double money in your hand. The money don't don't spend the money. Take the money back and the additional money, so it doesn't look like you're trying to rip this guy off. Um, and God Almighty give you mercy before that man, that he may send away your other brother and Benjamin. If I bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. And then and then off they're going to go. Now, we're going to get one, one last little story here, aren't we? One last turn. Because now, now what is Joseph going to do? They show up. What does Joseph do? He what? They're now a feast. Okay, they're going to get done. So he's going to feed them. He's got to have them here. He still hasn't told them who he is yet. So now I'm going to send the corn, but I'm going to do one last thing, which was what? Put the cup in I'm going to take my silver cup that we were just dining with, and I'm going to place this in Benjamin's. Again, so in, in, in other words, we're putting the youngest one at risk again. I can hear all the song singing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. And then, then the cup is found. And Judah came near unto him and said, Oh, my Lord, let thy servant, I pray thee, speak a word in thy... Let not thine anger burn against thy servant. 
My Lord, as thy servants have ye a father and mother, we have a father, an old man, a child of his old age, a little one, and his brother is dead. He's having to still kind of hold on to this. And he's going to say, uh, the one went out from me, surely he's torn in pieces, I haven't seen him yet. He's still having to hold on to this whole thing. Um, now, here I think is the reconciliation begins. And I think this is what Joseph has been waiting for all along. This is Judah. For thy servant, 32, of a surety for the lad unto my father, saying, If I won't bring him unto thee, I shall bear the blame to my father forever. Therefore, I pray thee, let thy servant abide instead of the lad. A bondman to the Lord. In other words, rather than you keep Benjamin because this, the silver cup was in his bag, keep me. Let me be thy servant. And then, and then this, this phrase, which is, which is the one that I think that all of us ought to kind of draw a little close to our heart. 34. For how shall I go up to my father and the lad be not with me? I remember with all my heart the last time I went up to my father and the lad was not with me. I will not do that again. I would sacrifice myself rather than send uh, have Benjamin stay here. I can't see my father's grief to that extent ever again. And you just see you just see the the Grief and the loss all wrapped up in all of this. Okay? His Garden of Gethsemane. This is really kind of his Garden of Gethsemane. I can't... Jo Joseph has set this up, up in such a way so that Judah was going to have to relive this. And he says, I won't do it. And this time, rather than sacrifice the boy, I'll sacrifice me. What a beautiful turn. Yeah. Any idea That's a good question. I, I don't know because uh, because Joseph is going to be like in his late thirties. Uh, he was seven. That's a good question. Anybody know? <coughs> Joseph's taking he's seventeen. Yeah, that's true. He's always going to be the lad. He's 55. Yeah. He's still a lad. Verse 29 says he has gray hair. So. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, on my word, I am, am over 30, but I'm one of the younger people, so I still... You're always the, you're always the young high girl. Yeah. Okay. So how shall I go out? In other words, I will not... I can't go up to my father one more time. Yeah. Yeah. Take it from 
Yeah. And I think this is the moment that Joseph has been waiting for. I believe if they had come in with this initial change of heart, I don't think we'd have gone through all the gymnastics that we've just gone over the last couple of years. Because Joseph was concerned about his brothers, loved his brothers, but wanted to have their healing because he knew what they had gone through for years. This is what he was after. So this is why, if we look at 45, Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him. He cried, Cause every man to go up for me. And there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard. That's anguish. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. I'll bet. <laughs> That's the moment I'm looking for in the millennial movies. I want this one. I am Joseph, doth my father yet live. And his brethren could not answer, and Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near unto me, I pray you. They came near, he said, I am Joseph your brother, whom ye sold unto Egypt. <coughs> now, the reconciliation. Therefore be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves. That ye sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. Verse 7, God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So, to kind of complete this reconciliation. And so it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and a lord over all his house, and a ruler through all the land of Egypt. Haste ye, go to my father, say unto him, saith thy son Joseph, God hath made me lord out of all Egypt, come down unto me and tarry not. There's the moment. In other words, what he was after to say, I need you, I am Joseph, you sold me into Egypt, but, it, but God had a hand in this and it's going to be the means by which we save the family. God's hand is in this. Now, how hard would that be for us? I know how hard it would be for me. There's your moment. When you finally reveal yourself, I'm Joseph that you sold into Egypt. And to do it without any rancor or revenge, but simply love in your heart and say, don't beat yourselves up. It was a good thing this needed to happen. I'm grateful I was sold into Egypt because now I will be the means to preserve you guys. I can't help but think about the, the day that the Savior will come back and he will, he will save us and the, the Jews that are in Israel and that he'll 
What are those marks in thy hand and in thy feet? And they had sold him long ago. Yeah, he will say, these are the marks that I received in the house of my friends. And then the scripture says they'll mourn for what, two years? Mourn a long time. But I have a feeling that the Savior is going to do that without rancor or revenge. I think that's our challenge. I think that's the deeper level. Now we come back to the cult and the atonement idea. If we have been covered with the atonement, if the Savior has extended to us in spite of all of the sins and rebellions that we do, and He says to us, I will forgive without price. I'm not going to hold... Uh, a grudge against you for breaking my commandments. Why is it, do you think, then, that the Lord says, uh, forgive us our sins as we do what? Forgive others. Forgive us our debts to the same extent that we forgive our debtors, those that have harmed us. And, 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 the, and the other side of that is that if you don't, you are not partaking in the same spirit with which I forgave you. Well, again, let me ask again. Think about the people that have harmed you or hurt you. Moms, think about somebody that's hurt your kids. How easy is it to hang on to that edge because somebody hurt somebody you love. And he's saying, forgive, let it go. In the moment of his pain, where not taking anything away from Joseph, but he wasn't still in prison, he wasn't being chased by poverty, he wasn't being punished. It was after the fact, after when he could see that. So I think it's going to be tested. It's hardest when we're still in prison, still in a lot of pain, and have seen before. Yeah, when we're still stinging from the words. Uh, I mean, I, your Savior is a good example. He's on the cross, and the very people that drove the nails into his hands are, are gambling for his for his coat. And he's saying, forgive these guys. That's a, that's a level of, I'm not holding a grudge like anything I can't imagine. So you're saying there's never a case to be an orange quarter rock on I think quarter had his place. There's time for everything in the yeah, but we're talking about that there is a point here. And I think it's this point of becoming Joseph-like, where we become more interested in watching and knowing that people are going to hurt and we want them to not be hurting, even those that have hurt us. That, that's hard. Now, yeah. It's not our place. In other words, their internal anger. Was there anything that Joseph could have done to the boys that would have matched the anguish that they had been hearing in their ears year after year after year every time they watched their dad 
sobbing. Nothing could have nothing could have been worse than that. That was probably their punishment. They had been punished, and he wanted that, and that's why he's going to come back to them and say, "Therefore, be ye not grieved nor angry with yourselves. Find, forgive yourselves. Let it go, because I have forgiven you, and I can see God's hand." Might have. Yeah, well, he just... Ugh. See? <laughs> and, and, and he ends up being above all of that. That's a, that's a great point. Okay, to me this is one of the... Again, the, what we talked about before, when we're looking at, at the, these... And we're about to roll into Exodus. But looking at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and, and, and all of this... We see such real people, and I and I just love that Genesis gives us the emotion behind us, so we see them as real people, and we see that they're going through very real anguish. They they aren't cut out cardboard figures, and so because of that, then I think we can look at them and we can say, I get it. I'm like them. This is they are they are me, and I think it's especially helpful for the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, to look at these people and be able to relate to them and feel what they're feeling. Because our experiences may be very similar in having to forgive those that have hurt us. And having to reach out to those that have despitefully used you. That's our challenge for the week, to be able to be Joseph-like in the way that we Bearing my testimony that these are these are our people. Their blood flows in our veins, and we are to be like them as much as we can. And I leave that with you, Jesus. Name.
Everybody from our co-op. Great.